But in those days, communication was a little poor. So news didn't get back home very quickly. And lo and behold, there was this band of American soldiers outside of New Orleans who had no clue that a peace treaty was being signed. And at the same time, on the other side of New Orleans, there was a band of British soldiers who also had no idea that a peace treaty was being signed. And these two armies went at each other, and there was a huge battle. Many people died. The Americans finally won in a decisive victory, but many, many people had suffered as a result of this battle. Only to find at the end of the battle, news finally came to them and said, weeks back, a peace treaty was signed. And lo and behold, they had fought the war for nothing. No matter what the outcome of the war, America was going to be independent. So they all could have gone home and been with their wives and children, planted crops. I don't know what they did in 1812. They could have gone and lived a happy life and not had to live through the horror of that battle. And you know, I sometimes think that Christians, we're the same. We're sometimes fighting battles for things that we already have. I think sometimes we are unaware of the great victory that Jesus Christ won on the cross. And as a result, we are fighting battles that have no meaning. We are fighting for things that we already have. And we are gauging with the enemy over things in which he's already been defeated. And I guess part of my sermon today is I want us to taste, see, know what that great victory is that Jesus won so that we can live in the victory that has already been done. How many of you have written a test that you thought you failed? I'm not going to ask you to raise your Well, you all did raise your hands. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think we've all written a test that we thought we failed. And let me tell you, what happens right after that test is, is something very debilitating. You know, you, you come out of that test and it's like, I failed. I've got no future. I don't know what I'm going to be doing with my life. So what the heck? I'm just going to live like it doesn't matter. And, you know, the depression follows. You might do things or say things that, you know, you wouldn't normally do. And then, two weeks later, your lecturer or teacher arrives in the class and hands you your, your paper and says, well done. That was quite a good paper. And lo and behold, you've passed. And then in your mind, you're thinking, I just lived two weeks in a failure that I didn't really have without knowing that I'd actually achieved a victory. I was living as if I failed. And I guess I, a conclusion I come from this, these very human things is that if we don't know the victory that Jesus won on the cross, it's very likely that we are living in a failure that we don't need. And so the hope that I have today is that we would encounter Jesus and God's dream for you in a way that would enable us to live it. So Father, I just pray for each person here and I ask that as we share around this word, Lord God, that you would come and touch our hearts. Lord God, I pray that you would separate us from thinking that is contrary to your way and to your will, Lord God, and that you would, you would deliver us 
in such a way, Lord God, that we can be everything that we were meant to be and we can live in the victory, everything of the victory that you won on the cross. And all of God's people said, amen. So I want to start right at the beginning of the story in Genesis. If you have your Bibles here, you can open to Genesis 1 verse 27. And perhaps let me introduce the scripture by saying this, that when God made the world, he had a dream. He had an understanding of what this world would be. And it was good, and it was glorious, and it was amazing. And as he created man, in his heart, he was thinking, Oh, my word, this is glorious and beautiful and incredible. And then he said this, or the Bible says this about his creation of man. So God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. So next time that tuna on your plate wants to jump off, you say, no, I'm in charge. You stay right there. But I guess... This, you know, we've, we've all heard the scripture so many times that it almost just becomes part of our rhetoric. You know, it's just like a, something you know so well that you don't see what it's saying anymore. But the beauty of this is it speaks of God's dream for you and God's dream for the world. That when he created you, his hope and his expectation was not that you would just run around trying to hold things together, to get through this obstacle, to make it through, to just not mess up here and just hang on until you died and you went to heaven. That was not his aim at all. His aim was that you would carry his image, that his glory would rest on you, that you, the person next to you and all of mankind would rule over the earth in a way that wherever they went, they would establish the worship of Yahweh. They would establish a place where all of creation saw the glory of God in us and said, oh my word, God is good. That wherever we went, things would be conformed to God's ways. That there would be life, blessing, righteousness, wholeness, courage. And when he created you, that's what he was thinking about. You know, through the ages, there have been one or two people who have kind of grasped this. And they've said, if this is God's dream, then I can live in God's dream. I can actually be that kind of a person. What would happen? I would want to ask you this. What would happen if you said, God, I'm going to live like that. I'm going to live as if your glory rests in me. I'm going to live as if... I have the authority to change environments, to create atmospheres, to create places where the worship of Yahweh yeah, right. is possible. So here's a man who did it. His name was 
Nicholas Bengu, and he was born in 1990 and 1909, and I, I chose him because he was so very, very, very South African. Because sometimes we think it's all those, those American and British and Chinese evangelists out there that are doing all the great things. We have our very own. We have our very own people who have, who have pushed into the heart of God, seen what God wants, and said, I will be your man. So he was born in the small town of Ishawi, and he grew up, I guess, with a passion to see the world transformed. And he grew up in apartheid South Africa, and he said, no, that's not good enough. I, I want to see a place where people are free. And he thought a good way to do that would be to join the Communist Party and see what could happen out of that. Of course, nothing very good happened out of that. And so realizing that man's effort to create utopias or great places on earth was not working, he found himself in church. His dad had actually been a pastor, and he found himself in church, and at the age of 20, he gave his life to the Lord. He went and he studied. He was part of the AFM movement. And in 1950, he arrived in Port Elizabeth and he started preaching his heart out. He started telling people about the glory of God and what God wanted to do and what they were called to and who Jesus was and the victory Jesus had won for them and the freedom they could live in. And by droves they came, by droves they came, surrendering their lives to the Lord. He finally moved to East London and said, let's do the same here. He went ahead and did it. And then he said, what if we could reach the whole country? And he started some crusades called the Back to God Crusades. Literally tens of thousands of people throughout South Africa were touched by the power and the relevance and the glory of God in these meetings. Time magazine, the international magazine, on the 23rd of November said this about him, uh, 1959, not this last 23rd of November or the one coming, 1959. They said this, his ministry resulted in the crime rate dropping by as much as a third in some areas. At one meeting, the police took away three van loads of stolen goods and weapons that people surrendered when they came to Christ. It is not unusual for Evangelist Bengu to end up by walking down to the police station hand in hand with someone on the wanted list. I don't know if he literally said this in his heart. But certainly, this is the transaction that had happened in his heart with God. God, I will be your man. I will stand in the dream that you have for me. I will be the one who will realize your dream on earth. Here are some of his crusades. Nice to see the pictures of real people, real men and women there just being touched by the presence of God. In his final address, he said this, 
build the nation where you are, remembering that you are part of that nation and you are in it for a specific purpose for God. Pray for all leaders in Africa, support leaders of your nation and present Christ to them by all means. The church is the light of the world. The church is the salt of the earth and the church should lead the nation to peace, unity and prosperity. Because you see, he had tasted of the dream that God has for this world. And he said, I'll be part of that. And I don't believe that, that all of you are meant to be crusade evangelists and go around the country and, and run crusades like this. But I do believe that every one of you in your sphere of influence is meant to be God's man or woman. You're meant to carry his presence. You're meant to reveal his glory. His image is meant to be resonant in you. And you are meant to show that to your environment. In such a way that people are impacted. And perhaps one day you will take someone by the hand and walk them down to the police station. I hope more often you will, you will lead them into other, other things. But, sure. but you are meant to bring the revelation of God's dream. God's passion. You know, God is not. God didn't send Jesus just so that you could go to heaven when you died. Do you understand that? That was not the goal or the entire goal of the cross. Praise God we go to heaven when we die. That's a good thing. But Jesus' primary goal was not that. Jesus' primary goal was the restoration of God's dream for this earth. Jesus' primary goal was God's restoration for God's dream for you. Not in some future life, but now. And we learned from Genesis 1 what God's dream for mankind was. It's that you would carry his image. That people, when they look at you, would say, Oh, my word. That's just like Jesus. Oh, my word. The power you carry is just like him. Oh, my word. The wisdom. Oh, my word. The love. I was sitting with a girl yesterday having coffee. And we were talking about her relationship with her boyfriend, which was not doing so well. They were still very in love with each other, but they had engaged in some things that were going to damage their marriage in the future. And I began to share with her the vision of God's dream for her, God's dream for him, God's dream for their marriage, that they would live a life-filled, happy, ever-growing experience in their marriage. And she said this to me, and it broke my heart. She said, you know, I've never had a vision to have a glorious marriage. I've only had a vision to not be pregnant when I got married. Generations in my family have all been pregnant when they got married, and I thought I would break that cycle and I would not be pregnant. And I looked at her and I said, please don't be pregnant when you get married, but there's so much more.
than that. If you set your bar down there, that's all you're going to aim for. There is a victory that Jesus won that is so much more than that. That looks like a father and a mother together creating environments where their children are growing up healthy and strong and in love with Jesus, sure of who they are. There is a place where you can know who you are in God, such the place when a man offers you something, you would say to them, no, do you know who I am? That's so much less than I just get from my father. That's, that's so much less than I'm dreaming of. And in the immortal words of Beyonce, <laughs> let's just put a ring on that. <laughs> and what that means is that we are going... We know who we are, girls. We are image bearers of the Most High God. When we walk into rooms, Jesus walks with us. You don't get from me unless you're in covenant with me. Come on. Preach it. Girls, girls, please. The bar's not down there. Guys. The bar's not down there. You're an image bearer of the Most High God. When you walk into the room, you bring the covering and the strength and the courage of God. Where you are, women are safe. You're not looking to get stuff for yourself. You're looking to spread the glory and the nature of God into that environment. You're looking to create places where women can be free, safe, alive, well. Where children can grow up happier, secure. Where the glory of God can be revealed. Where the glory of God's dream for family can be realized. You are here to stand as image bearers of the Most High God. You are not struggling, making it through, living just for today. How can I make it through just this next hour? No, that's not who you are. Through you, God is invading this world. So Jesus thought the way I think. In fact, I think the way he thinks. That's what I'm doing every day. I'm trying to think more like Jesus. So I feel like in this regard, he felt the same. It says in Matthew 4, verse 17, verse 17, it says this, From that time on, after Jesus' baptism, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What is he saying? He's saying, get your heart right. There's something coming that's going to blow your mind. There's something on the way that is going to shake the world. It's going to turn it upside down. It's going to make a difference that is going to be different from anything you ever know. God is bringing his dream back to earth. Though it has been lost, God is restoring his dream. God is bringing his kingdom here on earth. And when he was saying repent, he's not like you bad, bad people. He was saying get your heart right because you really want to be in a part of this movement. You want to be a part of the, the rolling thunder of God's presence as he comes on earth. You want to be a part of it, so put your heart in the right place so you don't miss it. Awesome. 
when he sent out his disciples, he said this, as you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Same message. At one sta stage he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns. They wanted him to stay there, naturally. He said, no, because that is why I was sent. I was sent to preach that the kingdom of God is here. The ki kingdom of God is coming. And then a really wild thing is that after he died on the cross and been resurrected and he was meeting with his disciples the final time, he said this, and again he said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is how God brought his dream back. He comes and he breathes into you. And the image of God rises up inside of you and he says, as I sent Jesus, so I am sending you. This is who you are. Image carriers of the Most High God, walking into situations that don't know and bringing the victory that Jesus accomplished on the cross and declaring not that the kingdom of heaven is near, but that the kingdom of heaven has come. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to have that pain. You don't have to engage in that, think that way, degrade yourself that way. The kingdom of heaven is here. I've come with a message. There's something new. There's something more. You can live the dream of God for your life. Can you tell I need a really big stage to walk on? Because that little bit at the front is just too small. It's just too small. You know, I've fallen off a few stages in my life because, because they were just too small. So I'm so pleased this is all one level. So I'm going to tell you a bit of a story, another one. But I'm going to launch off Romans 6 verse 16. It says this, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Remember I said to you, if there's a victory that has been won but you don't know about it, it may as well not have happened. And if we are unaware of the victory that Jesus won on the cross, guess what? We will live far less than what he gave us. And this scripture talks about, guys, it doesn't matter what Jesus did on the cross. If you present yourself as a slave to obey the enemy, then you are not free. Then the freedom he won for you is null and void for you. I want to tell you a story. And the story is about a young boy who grew up as the son of a huge business tycoon who owned properties all over South Africa, was wealthy in every way, a kind and benevolent man who, who, who loved people and used his wealth to uplift the poor and do great things. 
And from a young age, he came to his son and he said, this is for you, son. You're going to grow up and you're going to take over all of this. And in order for his son to be excellent at that, he, he trained his son, he spoke to his son, he taught his son. But this man had a gardener. And this gardener looked at all of this and said, I want it. And so day after day, he would sneak into the house and he would sit next to the young boy and he would say, your dad's not really going to give it to you. You know all those lessons your dad tries to tell you? Well, that's, that's just him being mean. He's just going to keep you in lesson after lesson after lesson. And gosh, you, you're never going to see anything. And he spoke like this to the boy day after day after day after day. And then one day he came to the boy and he said, I tell you what, if you give me the keys to this mansion, if you give me the keys to your father's offices, I'll give it all to you. And so the young boy, completely won over, goes rummaging in his father's cupboards, finds all these keys, rushes over to this guy, hands them to him. I'm going to use some drama now. The, throw, the gardener throws off his robes and lo and behold, he's not a gardener. He's an evil, wicked prince. <laughs> and he comes marching in with his hordes and they take over the mansion they take over the offices they destroy the father's reputation they take over and they take that young son and they put him in chains and they enslave him nice story but this is the story of mankind this is the story of mankind who in the garden were being raised up to be image bearers, bearers to take over the business of their father. And a snake came and sat down next to them and said, did God really say? Yeah. All that authority that your dad has given you, give it to me and I'll give you what you really want. And so we look at the world and the adverts, and the things the world offers us. And we say, oh, wow, I can have dresses and cars and fame and fortune. Ah, oh, let me hand over the keys so I can have that. And then he binds us in chains, and the image of God is locked away. I can be dramatic when I want to, can you tell? So now I feel like we need some fanfare music because this is where Jesus rides onto the scene. <laughs> this, this is the rescue um, operation of all time. God looking at this and saying, my sons and my daughters enslaved by the very one who is trying to steal my image and destroy my reputation and make, make it as if I don't exist and take this world into destruction. 
and he launches the greatest rescue operation of all time. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this, Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all, who, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, have you ever wondered why Jesus had to suffer like he did on the cross? Have you ever wondered about it? I mean, I just, I, I've thought about this often. If God wanted to forgive us, why didn't he just forgive us? Have you ever wondered about that? No, clearly not. Well, now you're wondering. <laughs> because there were some consequences to what we did. There's some consequences to the way we've lived. And in essence, not seeing the glory of what God wanted to do with us, we have traded that for something less. And as a result, there are some consequences. There's some bondage. The enemy has some hold on you. You've sold your, your future for a warm cup of bread, warm cup of soup and bread. <laughs> Mike's saying a cup of bread is nice. I just don't know where he's tasted that. When Jesus hung on the cross, I want to propose to you that it wasn't God punishing him. I want to pro propose to you that he was taking your consequences. I want to propose to you that your life choices were bringing on you a destruction that you didn't know about. And Jesus, seeing that bus hurling towards your life, came and stood in the way and said, hit me. And that he took your consequences so that he could turn and give you back the keys. So that you once again could say, I was wrong, and I want to live God's dream. And I want God to live out his dream for this earth through me. I want to be an image bearer of the Most High God. I don't want to be just making it through, trying not to mess up, trying to make things work. I want to stand in the glory of who God made me and establish his kingdom, his rule and reign on earth. Mike alluded to Kaiser Chiefs and Pirates, and I know it was a draw, and I'm sorry, everyone's disappointed and everyone's happy all at the same time. <laughs> Mike is delighted that Pirates is kind of like to the front and Kaiser Chiefs is a little bit back. That was unintentional, so all of you Kaiser Chief fans, you're all good. But I guess when we look at sports competitions, what Jesus in essence did is that he hung on the cross, he stood in front of the bus, he took your consequences, and then he went and won back the trophy. 
and he comes and presents it to you. And you're standing on the winner's podium getting the reward. And you didn't even play. It would be something, say, say Kaiser Chiefs won, Mike. Say, just say. Just say. It would be like the press. I woke up this morning and all the press were outside my house and there were um, people wanting my autograph and they were carrying that huge big cup and their medals all over the place. And as I walked out, they just celebrated me as the winner of that match. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't even watch it. And that is what Jesus has done for us. It says... In John 14, verse 12, most, most assuredly I say, Jesus speaking, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. What was he saying? He's saying, because I'm going away, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. That Spirit that he breathed onto his disciples, what is that? That's the image of God returning to you. That is God returning the original dream to its rightful place into your heart. That's God opening up your eyes to see what he wants to do in your environment. That's God saying all the power that created the universe that is held in my words when I I say, let there be light, and push, there it is. I am now putting it inside of you. And as we look at the life of Jesus, it serves an example of what a man can do carrying the image of God. And Jesus rightfully said, greater works than what I've done, you will do, because as I go to my Father, I will have accomplished what is necessary for the image of God to return. In summary, our great victory, the power of the Spirit, through Jesus' victory on the cross, we are re restored to our original vocation. To reveal God's image to the world, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us empowers us to do this with greater works than even Jesus. Do you feel delighted right now to be a human being? You know, right now, this, I mean, it's just, it's got to speak to you of something fantastic. And guys, please, that low bar, that sports stars, pop stars, music stars, adverts, the world is handing to you. Can we just leave it right behind and can we look and see what was won for us on the cross? And can we say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And can we not take for granted the power of God in us? Can we, can we once again realize the incredible, mind-blowing, unbelievable, undeserved authority that God has placed in our hands as delegated agents of his kingdom here on earth to bring his truth, his righteousness. I promise you, you begin to think like this, speak like this, the miracles of Jesus and more will follow you. We long for that power. We long for that demonstration of the kingdom. And God is longing that you would say yes to him so he can do it.
Amen. Father, can we pray? Father, we're so delighted. We're so delighted in, at the enormity of this victory that you've won. Lord God, please, I'm asking for each of us here that we would not live less. We would not live less than you have for us. Father, break our hearts with what breaks your heart. Speak the dream into our hearts. Show us what a redeemed world looks like. Show us what a world looks like where you are king. And Father, I ask that we would not settle for anything less. Father God, I pray that we would press into the fullness of your kingdom, your grace, your glory. I pray, Father God, that we would find in our hearts, we would find in our hearts that dream alive and beating. And we would say yes. And when the enemy sits next to us and says, as God really said, that we would resist it with all our hearts and we would listen to the voice of your spirit churning within us. Look at the dream. Look at the dream. Look at the dream. Father God, I pray that we would feel your power surging through our hearts and we would say it can be done. We would look at the cross and we would say it is finished. The enemy is defeated. The lies no longer hold weight. The chains are no longer there. The consequences of what I deserve have been removed. It's a new day. I can live the dream. I can live the dream. Lord, I'm asking that you would remove fear from our hearts. Father God, we stand daily so timid, Lord. Father, I stand with everyone in this prayer, Lord God. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. Lord, I'm asking that you would make us bold, fearless, unstoppable. Lord God, I pray you would so satisfy our hearts with your presence. That, Father God, no matter what people say or do, or no matter how they react to us, we would press in to continue the work. Lord, because I am convinced that your kingdom is rolling into this earth in power and might. And, Lord God, I am convinced that you are doing it through us. And, Lord God, I ask that you would bring about a revival in our environment that is unparalleled in history as we say yes to your dream. Thank you, Lord.